Hey, good morning, FCF. We're in our third message called The New You 2.0, and the scripture teaches clearly that, that God puts us on this planet to participate, to cooperate with Him in a developmental journey. Uh, there's a 1.0 version of ourselves that we inherit from Adam. Adam was one that couldn't even resist one temptation, remember? He fell and gave in to it. But then it says, for we that in this lifetime become reconciled to Christ our Creator by trusting in Him and becoming His follower, well then we're destined to wear His image. We read this from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45 and 49. Just as we bore the image of the first man, Adam, we're destined to wear the image of the second man who is from heaven, meaning Jesus. And that's the 2.0 version of herself. By the way, Jesus lived in a world full of temptation and sin, but resisted it all the time. That's the better version of you and I that we're meant to develop in this life. Life is meant to be a developmental journey in which we get to know Christ our Creator in trust. And then as we walk with Him, we grow to be more like Him. The 2.0, the more beautiful version of herself, the version of herself that we all want to be. Okay. Imagine you, yourself in a situation like this. You're at a, at a party in your neighborhood or perhaps you're at work and a bunch of people are gathered around a lunch table or you're in some social setting where there's a lot of diverse people. And the question gets asked, what is your view of Jesus Christ? <laughs> Wouldn't that be an interesting conversation? Um, you know and I know there would be lots of diverse views and opinions would be strong. But here's one interesting thing. Most of those people would kind of associate Jesus Christ as kind of a name that kind of Jesus is his first name and Christ is his last name. But most of you know that that word Christ, it means Messiah in Hebrew. And a Christ or a Messiah was one that rescued. He came, he was divinely empowered to rescue, to restore, to rebuild things. Things that needed to be rebuilt, that needed to be restored. Individuals that needed to be rescued. That was what a divinely empowered Messiah or Christ was to do. Now, not everybody today believes that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the only one that can help every human being uh, enter into that 2.0 version of ourself that we were created to wear. But I'm assuming that most of us today do. Now we're going to go back to our friend because our friend that we met the past two weeks in Scripture, he lived at a time where not yet did people believe that Jesus was the Messiah, was the Christ, was the individual that we had to be in union with in order to develop the 2.0 version of ourself. They, they didn't have that notion, but they did have a very strong notion, the Jewish people did, of what the Messiah or what the Christ was going to be like. They derived this version from small portions of Scripture all through their 1,500-year history in the Old Testament. Some of them gave one aspect of, of the Messiah or the Christ, like where He would be born or what He would be like or some things He would do. Uh, lots of different fragments, but when put together, they, they kind of gave a composite picture. Nevertheless, it was not crystal clear. I want to read you one because we want to start today's talk by considering the view of God's Messiah before Jesus. Um, before I take you there, though, let, let's go back to our, our main character in John's Gospel, chapter 5. And I'm going to skip over the first few verses because you know that he was laying at this place called Bethsaida where lots of sick people gathered. This man had been debilitated for 38 years and they waited for in, uh, a miraculous angelic intervention that happened occasionally. And if you could get into the water in time, 
occasionally people got healed. And so they all waited around, and, and this is where they received offerings and things just to survive from day to day. So I'm going to pick up reading in verse 5. It says, And a certain man was there who had been diseased for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that for a long time now he had been diseased, he said to him, Do you want to be made whole? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But in the meantime, when I am about to come, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath day. Importance there is that no work was to be done on the Sabbath. The man was carrying a, his mat, which was considered work. Verse 14. Jesus, or excuse me, sometime later, Jesus found him in the temple. This is the man that was made whole. And again spoke to him, Take a look at your body. It has been made whole and strong. So avoid a life of sin, or else a calamity greater than any disability may befall you. Uh, I want to emphasize just one thing. Now that this man had some freedom and liberty and the ability to invest his life in ways that he didn't before he was disabled or paralyzed, Jesus tells him, be careful not to invest your life in sin because sin is not your friend, sin is your enemy. It is a destroyer. It is not the spice of life. We in Christian circles today tend to think of sin too much judicially. It's something that angers God and that He must punish. But when you research Scripture, God treats sin as something that destroys and wrecks us and that God wants to rescue us from. Nevertheless, let's try to refocus back on what our passage really is dealing with. So this man, to this point, he didn't even know who Jesus is. Later, the authorities, if you read on in John chapter 5, the authorities find this man and they say, hey, what are you doing carrying your mat on the Sabbath? That's a Sabbath violation, which they killed people for that in those days. And he tells them, the man that made me whole, he told me, pick up my mat and walk. So they want to know who it was. Well, the man didn't even know because the Scripture says that after Jesus healed this man, he just blended back into the crowd. He didn't even know who Jesus was, much less any thoughts of Jesus being the Messiah. Now, the prevalent view of the Messiah in Jesus' day, we have to understand this, it was nothing like what Jesus was. The prevalent view was this. The Messiah would be one that was mainly politically and militaristically interested. I'm going to read you one verse from the Old Testament that kind of gives you a picture of how these messianic predictions uh, were fragmentary, but they did give some information that could lead your mind to sort of recognize the Messiah. Now, this is one that uh, you will, many of you will recognize because we often see it on Christmas cards. It's from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. It says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The authority to rule will rest on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no limit to his authority and no end to the peace he brings. He will rule on David's throne and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from now on into eternity. Notice the emphasis on ruling and the government being on his shoulders and ruling right into eternity. Okay, the Jews of Jesus' day, the number one thing they expected the real Messiah to do was he was going to overthrow the Roman rule over the Jews 
make Israel the head of the nations and Jerusalem the capital of the world. And you might wonder, how did they get into this frame of mind? Because there were many other Old Testament fragments of the Messiah that were quite different than that governmental, militaristic aspect. Here's the thing. The Jews had selective viewing of the Messiah. And we can understand selective viewing. It's based on some of the experiences we have. Here's what the Jews' experiences were that molded them to selectively view the Messiah. The Jews started out being oppressed in Egypt for you know hundreds of years. Then they became a nation for about 469 years, but even that was divided up through periods of oppression. First the Assyrians overran them. Then the Babylonians. After the Babylonians came the Persians. After the Persians came the Greeks. And then after the Greeks came the Romans who were oppressing them at the time of Jesus being there on the, on the planet. So they were tired of being pushed around by the other nations. They, they were tired of being oppressed and humiliated. Therefore, when they read those messianic prophecies that were scattered throughout the Old Testament over a 1500 year period, they fixated on those that spoke about how that he would be a powerful ruler and he would take control of things. Now this was an interesting messianic prophecy because some of those names clearly sounded like this was a divine figure and yet it said that it was a child that would be born and a son that would be given. But listen to some of these names. Mighty, or excuse me, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So we see that this Messiah is a mysterious figure that sounds human and sounds divine simultaneous, but nevertheless the Jews fixed on the political aspect of it. Now, the, the reigning prevailing view of the Messiah in Jesus' day was very, very shallow because it had to do with systems and governmental structures and governmental philosophies. It had to do with a powerful Messiah who would just use brute force, divine brute force, to force people under or into submission. And let's face it, that's, that's a very shallow change dynamic. If you're forcing people to do things, you're not changing those people. You're changing their exterior behavior, but you're not changing their inside character or thought processes of all. Nevertheless, that's the kind of Messiah they were looking for. And Jesus couldn't have been further from that. The truth is, when you look at Scripture objectively, Jesus was completely unconcerned about politics and political structures and governmental structures, completely unconcerned about social justice issues. Now I'm going to come back to why. The reason that he did not care about those is because he was the real Messiah, and the real Messiah cared about the core problems that those things were but symptoms of. In other words, the oppression of one nation over another the social justice issues, the, the hatred that existed amongst mankind, the injustice and so forth, these are just symptoms. This man's paralysis was just a symptom of the core problem. And the real Messiah came to deal with the core problem, not the symptoms. But I'm getting ahead of myself a bit, so let me, let me go to the next part of this. So you have a, a clear picture of the prevailing vision of what kind of a Messiah they were expecting, and Jesus was not that, that Messiah. But that question, that question that Jesus asks this man, it's kind of perplexing. Here's this guy that's been 38 years an invalid. He's been waiting, according to his own words, to be healed for 38 years and nothing is happening. And Jesus has the seeming audacity to ask him, do you want to be made whole? Now this conversation could have went very differently. The man could have been offended. 
He, he could have lashed out at Jesus. He could have said, how dare you ask me such a thing? Of course I want to be made whole. Why else would I be here waiting all this time? You see my condition? How can you be so insensitive? And on and on it would go. But the man didn't respond that way. The man took Jesus seriously and gives him a rather elaborate explanation of why he had not been you know, healed to this point, trying to show that he sincerely wanted to be made whole. No sooner the man gets through his elaborate explanation, Jesus says, rise, take up your mat and walk. And, and it must have been extraordinary what the man felt in his body. I would love to know what he felt in his body at that point as new uh, nerve endings started feeling things they hadn't felt and, and strength was flowing through his body and, and muscle fiber was coming together. Anyway, the man felt the healing and he did. He obeyed exactly what Jesus said. He took Jesus at his word. He trusted his word. He got up and he walked. And of course, then the man was indeed made whole. Now, why would Jesus ask that question though? Why do you ask a guy who's been waiting to be whole for 38 years, do you want to be made whole? Well, I think there's a good reason behind it. We human beings have this horrible capacity to accept that which should never be accepted, to consider what is utterly abnormal to be normal. We, we have this terrible capacity to accept stabilized mediocrity because it's known, it's familiar, it's stable. We, we get comfortable with circumstances that we should never be comfortable with. Why? because change of any kind is even more uncomfortable. And, and it's, it's highly believable that this man had kind of rutted himself into a comfortable, predictable lifestyle. He laid there every day. He had his other sick friends that he talked to. He kind of had community. He was given offerings so he didn't have to work. He didn't have to schedule anything. So Jesus' question was really kind of penetrating. Do you want to be made whole or, or are you maybe so comfortable with yourself as you are that you don't really want to be made whole. Listen, you have met people in your life, I have certainly met a number of them, they literally protect their right to stay unwhole. They protect their right to stay diseased. I don't mean physically, I mean mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. They protect their right to have an excuse for never changing or even attempting to change. There's a big difference between changing. Changing is hard, but attempting to change is something we can all do. But there are people that they say they have been so injured, so deprived, so wounded that, that they can't be expected to be changed or, or, to, or to enter into a change process. And, and they will be highly offended if you even say so. So people like that, when they're asked, do they want to be made whole? The truth would be they don't really want to be made whole. They want to have an excuse for their behavior. They want to have an excuse for being irresponsible. They want to have an excuse for never maturing and growing up. They want to have an excuse for their lack of self-control. They feel like that's just who I am and, and that's just the way it is. You, you shouldn't ever ask me. So Jesus' question was a wise question to ask because he knew, he knew perfectly well that not every human really wants to be made whole. So the question was a penetrating one but it gives us a picture of what the real Messiah was like. The real Messiah, far from being one that used power and force, was one that was gentle and asked for permission even to restore somebody physically. Do you want to be made whole? Now, now let's go on to the second part of this because the view of God's Messiah before Jesus, as we said, was kind of shallow. 
Um, it dealt with systems and political institutions and masses of people. It didn't have much to offer an individual like a, an invalid man like this. But the view of God's Messiah after Jesus, you know, I know, history knows, changed dramatically. Jesus is commonly associated now with being the Messiah or the Christ. And we derive our picture of what the Christ or Messiah is like from Jesus. So let's kind of look at this a little bit because the first thing we see that this man received was an unexpected revelation of what the real Messiah is like in Jesus, through Jesus. You know, this conversation gets, gets into an escalated state of an argument when the religious leaders hunt Jesus down because this man was healed on the Sabbath day. And I'm going to read you some of those verses. This is from John 5, beginning in verse 16. It says, So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My Father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal to God. Listen to this. These guys had such a distorted picture of what the Messiah would be like that Jesus, who had healed this man in a dramatic fashion, unprecedented fashion, they're ready to kill him because, because he violated the Sabbath, not knowing that he's the creator of the Sabbath. But this brings a revelation of who Jesus really is and who the Messiah is. It goes on. Listen to verse 20. Jesus speaking to these men, he says, For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so you will be amazed. Verse 21, For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son. Listen to verse 23. This is where, where it really gets tough for them to, to bear, I'm sure. The Father doesn't judge anyone so that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Jesus is about a 31-year-old man, and he is looking at these religious leaders who would not even pronounce the name of God. They so revered the name of God, they called it the name, the Tetragrammaton. They, they wouldn't even say it. Uh, it was so revered. And Jesus is saying, unless you honor me, which was Jesus saying, unless you worship me like you worship the name, that they would use Hashem instead of the, the, the name of God. Uh, in our English translations, it's Yahweh, or, or, or you know, uh, sometimes it's translated Adonai, but usually it's Yahweh or, or Jehovah. Uh, the Jews wouldn't even, well, to this day, they won't say the name, the name of God. So here's Jesus saying, the, the name you won't even say, I'm the one you must worship and honor just as that. He's a 31-year-old man. He tells these men further, he says, I'm the one that's going to someday raise you from the grave. And when I raise you from the grave, I am the one that you will stand before to be judged. The one that you call the Father, whose name you won't even say, He's not even going to judge you. I'm the one that's going to judge you. So, so here is this in expanded revelation of who the Messiah is. He, he's not just a man. He's far beyond. He is the power Messiah, but he's the gentle power Messiah. He is the sacrificially loving power Messiah. I want you to think about it. Jesus is so humble and so personable 
that he gets this man to engage in a conversation. Jesus was a total stranger. Uh, the man felt completely comfortable talking to Jesus, even though he was a stranger. Even though Jesus asked this penetrating question uh, that could have offended the man, do you want to be made whole? The man somehow heard something in his tone, heard something or saw something in his eyes that he, he was responding. Jesus showed personal interest in this man. The real Messiah values individuals. The false Messiah that the Jews were depicting in those days, he, he cared about big government sweeping structures and mass change and power that doesn't penetrate a person's heart. But the real Messiah knew that if you're ever going to get to the real problems of humanity, you must deal with individuals because the real problems of humanity lie within my heart and your heart and every other human heart. And you cannot deal with the core issues, the real problems of humanity, unless you deal with individuals and individuals are willing to open their hearts and allow the Creator to do what only the Creator can do so that the image of God can be restored again within us. So, so Jesus, the real Messiah, He's tender, He's compassionate, He's personable, He's likable, He's a great conversationalist. He's not intimidating, He's not scary, he, He's not horrified that this man is sinful. Uh, he, he's not afraid to engage him. In fact, Jesus, the real Messiah, was called the friend of sinners. He was not afraid at all to be involved with sinful people. So this man finds his health restored by the real Messiah, and the real Messiah cares about the individual. And the real Messiah wants to solve the real problem of humanity. And the real problem of humanity goes back to the first Adam, man 1.0. That first Adam didn't resist even one temptation. When Satan came and slandered the character of God and said, oh, this tree that he told you not to eat of, he's just holding back from you. He knows that if you eat of that tree, you won't really die. He was lying to you. You won't die. In fact, you'll become like God yourself. He just wants to keep you down. He just wants to deprive you of the highest quality of life you can have. One temptation and Adam and Eve bought it and fell. The 1.0 version of ourself doesn't do well with temptation. But Jesus grew up in a world that was full of evil and yet he never gave in to temptation. So the real Messiah is one that comes to destroy the satanic slander and the distance that it brought. Remember when, when God comes into the Garden of Eden it says that Adam and Eve, they ran and they hid from God. Why? Because they didn't trust Him anymore. They believed Satan's slander about God. They distrusted God. The problem in humanity is distrust of our Creator, and our distrust of our Creator produces disobedience to His will and distance from Him and His will, and that creates what we call sin and evil and systemic evil and social injustice and all these things. Why was Jesus unconcerned about political structures and social justice issues? Because you can't solve them by going after social justice issues or political structures. You must solve them on the core, inner, spiritual level. Those issues can only change when a person's heart changes, and the real Messiah is about individuals. He's changing one individual at a time. He considers that the best strategic way to cure the problem of evil in this universe. Yes, he's going to deal with systemic evil ultimately, but right now he's gathering out a people, a people who want to be made whole, a people who are willing to trust him once again, a, willing, a people who are willing to get up and walk when he tells them get up and walk and embrace his word and his will and his ways. And this man experiences that. Listen to this verse from Colossians chapter 1, 
that gives this expanded revelation of the real Messiah, who Jesus is. It says in Colossians 1.19, it says, God was pleased that all His fullness should forever, forever dwell in the Son. All the fullness of God. Everything that there is. God was in Jesus. Jesus was the Messiah. But the Messiah was God being revealed perfectly finally to the universe in the humanity of Jesus. The next verse amplifies this. So it says, God was pleased that all His fullness should forever dwell in the Son. The next verse, and through Him, God reconciled everything to Himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Once the universe of angelic beings, angelic civilizations, saw the sacrificial love of the Almighty revealed in Jesus on that cross, every question they ever had, every doubt that Satan ever stirred in their minds, it was forever resolved. They now knew that the Almighty God is the sacrificial lover of the universe. He's the Holy One. There's nobody like Him. His will is always the very best thing for us all and things were reconciled. All this was done through the Messiah. The Messiah had to be personable. He had to be humble. He had to be gentle. He had to be exactly like Jesus was, or human beings would have never opened their hearts to re-engage with Him again. And then, of course, the man experienced this unimaginable restoration. And this term, being made whole, it's interesting. Uh, Jesus started the process but He wants it to expand from the 1.0 being made whole version of ourselves to the 2.0 version. Here's what I mean. This man, even though Jesus healed his body, he was still going to die. And so the real problem, the spiritual problem, was not yet resolved. You see, death is the result, the Scripture says, of sin. Sin has so affected us on our fine, delicate inner machinery that it kills us, it destroys us. Now, Jesus promises to give us immortality, to infuse us with His life, to raise us back to life and give us immortality. But we have this, this need for Jesus, the Messiah, to give us what we don't possess. The 1.0 version is not sufficient. We need the 2.0 version. Listen to what the 2.0 version looks like in God's plan. In Romans 8.29 it says, God knew from the beginning who would put their trust in Him, so He chose them and He made them to be like His Son. Other versions this say, those that God foreknew, those that would trust in Jesus, those that God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed, predestined to be transformed to the likeness of His Son. It was always God's purpose to make us whole, and wholeness means I become like Jesus. I wear His image for all eternity. Listen to the way the book of Ephesians chapter 4.13 says it even more succinctly. It says, our goal, this is written to Christ followers, our goal is to become a full-grown man or a full mature person. What does that look like? What does a full-grown man look like? Our goal is to become a full-grown man to look just like Christ and have all His perfection. That's the 2.0 version that you're destined for, that you have the capacity for. Once we've linked with Jesus, we trust in Him, we take His Word seriously, it releases the dynamic necessary to bring this transformation. The physical transformation of this man was just kind of a, a parable, a living parable of the, the spiritual transformation that God will continue to make in us. And of course, He'll finally do it physically too. Philippians 3.21, it says, He'll take our weak mortal bodies and change them like into His glorious bodies. Uh, the, 
let me get my glasses on here and see this better. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. So a correct view of Jesus the Messiah is, is paramount for us to experience this transformation into the 2.0 version of herself. Now I want to close where Jesus kind of started this, where he asked the question, do you want to be made whole? Some of us have felt terribly paralyzed. Some of us have been paralyzed in our approach. We, we just don't feel comfortable even approaching God. You've got to see God in Jesus, the Messiah. He's approachable, He's personable, He's gentle, He's kind. He wants to heal, He wants to restore, He is for you, He is not against you. That's the start. So others of us, we've already trusted Christ and we are His followers, but truth be told, we're feeling paralyzed in some areas. We're, we want that 2.0, we hunger and thirst after righteousness authentically. We see the beauty of it, but we're kind of stuck. Listen, if you want the 2.0 version, if you want to be made whole, Jesus, the same Jesus that made this man physically whole, He absolutely promises to make you whole. You, you say, but Randy, you know, it's been years and it's two steps forward and three steps back. Well, this guy was 38 years before he was physically made whole. Be patient. Be patient. God keeps His promises. If we keep rising up and we keep walking with Jesus, even though we fall down, if we're willing to rise up again, he will bring the beautiful 2.0 version, the very image of His own self. He'll bring it to be manifest in even the weakest of us and even those of us that feel the most paralyzed. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank You that You've given us a real Messiah, a real rescuer, a real restorer, a real rebuilder, and it's one that warms our hearts and draws us back into connection with you, our Creator. We pray now that we will more and more experience this wholeness, Lord Jesus, that you gave to this man physically, that we can experience it spiritually, deeply, and eternally. May your Spirit give encouragement to those that need that, especially today. I ask it, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.